0: Is better than being in the best jailhouse in all the country. Isn't that true? It's better to be here, right? Could be worse. We're so blessed to be here together to worship today, a special day for Cross Point Community Church and I'm going to take over at this point with the teaching time and we're going to have an extended response time today. Now let me just take a minute, if you are a guest or a visitor this morning, maybe this is your first time with us, let me tell you how thrilled we are that you came to worship with us this morning. You came on a very special day in the life of our church. We are sort of in the climax of this initiative of a campaign to renew our property and facilities and And we're just sort of uh, updating everything and making some repairs and putting a new face on it, modernizing. And this is a three-phased project called TC3. And TC stands for Transformation Center because we believe we want our church, as God called us to be, a transformation center, that people's lives are transformed from the power of the gospel. And then we go out from here into the world to transform the world, right? So we're doing that together today. We have a special time where... um, you're going to have an opportunity to come and bring your special gift uh, offering to the chest of joash over on this side and then uh, you'll have a chance to bring your family's block hopefully you've had a chance to prepare that put some some fun stuff inside that are meaningful to you and we'll have to be able to build our nehemiah wall right here now all this is symbolic of us faithfully responding to god's call to be obedient to give and to work for the building of his kingdom right here at Cross Point Community Church. And this specific offering will go towards our house, the building that we have, the property that we have. And so we'll talk about that just a little bit later on. Turn in your Bibles if you will to begin with this morning to 2nd Chronicles. I've had the chance to greet our guests and visitors. Let me also greet our church members and regular attenders. So glad that you're here today. I hope you have been in prayerful and are prepared to respond as the Lord leads you this morning. Alright, we're in Second Chronicles, I want to start this morning, we're, we're going to have just this, this might be a little bit different, okay, this morning, can, can, I, can I just do things a little bit differently this morning? I know you're thinking, why are you even going to ask us, you already decided to do it, so it's just nice that we're, uh, you give me some affirmation, okay, so, so here's what we're going to do, let me just read a biblical passage right here, a passage from the scriptures to show you the principle behind what we're doing today. We don't do anything in our church unless it comes from responding to the word of God. God's scripture reveals his heart, and we respond obediently. So 2 Chronicles chapter 24. Now as I'm about to read that, I want to remind you of who we are as a church. We are God's people with God's agenda doing God's work. Is that true? If you agree with that, say Amen. Amen. Okay. And here's our vision statement. This is a statement that we have that we've articulated to be able to express that to anybody that wants to know and to remind us. So I'll put our vision statement up there if you can read it with me. Our vision is to become a body of Christ that has a profound and generational impact on the world for the glory of God. We believe through the gospel, teaching of God's word, and the combined gifted service of every member we will become a life-giving community hub where families are strengthened and transformed lives transform the world. That, I want to point that out to you because that's what this is all about. We're not simply just putting together a building so that we have a nice place to come to. Listen to me carefully, church. It's nice to have a nice building. It's nice to have comfortable seats and, and, a, and a good-looking place and a gymnasium and all these things, but that, this is not for us. We have not built this building and we're not renewing this building for our own personal satisfaction. It is for our vision statement so that we can become the body of Christ that has a profound, a profound generational impact. That means not just our lives, but the lives of the generation that follows and the one that follows that. Why? For the glory of God, not for our own agenda, for God's glory. And we believe that the way to do this is through the gospel. Jesus saves. He died on the cross. The word of God that teaches us how we are to live and who we're to be, and then all of us serving together. As we respond to that word of God, we serve together in the local church, and when that happens, then we become this community hub where people are drawn to and people can come to so that their lives can be changed and transformed, and they can be sent out into the world to do what? To reach others, to draw them in so their lives can be transformed, to do what? So they can be sent out to draw others in. You see, that's called discipleship. That's called the Great Commission. That's why we're taking up an offering. That's why we have TC3. That's why we're putting our building a new face and an uplift. Second Chronicles chapter 24. Here's the biblical principle, church. Here it is right here. Look at verse 5. This is King Joash leading God's people, and Joash realizes that the temple, God's house, is in disrepair. It's not as... as um, It's not as functional as it should be. Let's put it that way. Verse 5. Then he gathered the priests, the Levites, and said to them, Go out to the cities of Judah and gather from all Israel money to repair the house from your God. The king sends for the people to bring money, the resources that God has given them, to bring it back to repair for the house of God. Now skip to verse 8. Then at the king's command they made a chest and set it outside at the gate of the house of the Lord. Verse 9. And they made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to bring to the Lord the collection. And now I'm skipping down to verse 10. Then all the leaders and all the people rejoiced, brought their contributions, and put them into the chest until all had given. That's the biblical pattern of how God uses his people to repair his buildings, his resources, to do his work. And that's where it is right there. So... We figured the best way we know how to stick to God's word is to do it exactly like they did. So we actually have a chest up here called Chest of Joash. Joash, it has 2 Chronicles 24 right here. And it's surrounded by all these little prayer cards that you guys turned in, the church turned in, four weeks ago when we started and when we launched this campaign. These were your prayers to God from you about our building, our ministry, and your commitment level. Surrounding that chest. That's as biblical as we know how to make it. So I want to take the remainder of our time today, before we bring up our offerings and build the wall together, to look at giving in general, to look at God's way, giving. Now, giving is God's way, and I hope that some of us are challenged and changed as a result of what we see from God's word this morning. So turn to Romans chapter 8, very quickly, let me introduce it with point number one. About giving. Number one, giving is godly. Giving is godly. Now I want to show you this. So turn, turn to Romans 8. Look at verse 31 of Romans chapter 8. The Bible says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now look, this is a passage saying, remember who God is, and you can trust him for the future. How do you know you can trust him for the future? He's going to give you all things. It goes on to say, who can bring a charge against God's elect in verse 33? Who would condemn God's people? Verse 34 says, Jesus died and rose, who's even at the right hand of God, who continues to make intercession for us. Who, who shall separate us, it asks, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? None of those things. It says nothing separates us from the love of God. God has a plan and a future for us. And how is it that we can hold on to that and to know that? Because of his character that we know from the past. God's character is giving. Look at verse 32 again. He who did not spare his own son. What does that imply? It means God the Father had the chance, if he wanted to, to spare his own son from humiliation, from death, from crucifixion, from judgment, from being punished for sin. He had the right to preserve his son, prevent that from happening to his son, but because he loved all of us, the Bible says, by his nature, he chose to let that happen and he gave his son. He gave us salvation through the death of Jesus on the cross. And then it says, how shall we know, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see, what is what he's saying. God's nature is to give. God is a giving being. He's a father who gives to his people. For God so loves the world, that most famous passage that everybody likes to hold up on signs at the baseball games, even though they don't have any idea what it means. For God so loved the world that he gave. You realize what that's saying, right? That's saying, here's the nature of God's love. Here's what God's love does. Here's what it looks like when it's expressed to you. It gives to you that which you did not have, that which you did not deserve, because out of the graciousness and the love and the giving of God's character, he chooses to give to his people. Giving is godly. Therefore, if you and I If any of us this morning have any intention of being godly, let me just make an assumption here that we're all in church, so there's probably a lot of us that would like to be godly. That's probably at least part of our goal in life, right? To be godly, it should be. To be godly means of God. It means to be like God. It means to operate as God would operate, to do God's bidding, to, watch this church, reflect God's nature, That's what it means to be godly. If we want a godly life, a godly walk, then that means our life must be characterized by giving. It's godly to give. We become like him when we give. We also join him in his work when we give. So if we want to be obedient, if we want to do what God wants the church to do, that means we are going to be constantly giving. That that means our money, of course. But it doesn't end there. Giving of our lives, giving of our devotion, giving of our words, what we say to people and about people. It's a whole lifestyle, folks. You see, we, when we, when we t- try to be godly, we don't just say, well, look, I've got my career, I've got my hobbies, I've got my family life, and you know, each of those take up, and then over here I have this part that's going to be godly, And I want this part to be godly, so out of all the godly things that I do, one of those is supposed to be giving. And before you know it, sometimes if we're not careful, in our mind, giving is just one of those little slices of the things that we do when we go to church, or when God's looking, or when we're afraid, or we've been bad lately. It's just that one little sliver, maybe a tenth, maybe even a a twentieth of our life, But, but the truth is that we are to be godly people. Everything we do, our lifestyle is to be a godly lifestyle. That means we are to be giving by our very nature, by the Spirit of God dwelling in us. It's as if everywhere I go, every interaction is always giving from what I have to benefit, to bless, to edify, giving away. The Bible says it's more blessed to receive than it is to give. Oh, did I get that wrong? That didn't fit, did it? I'm just seeing if you're awake. It is more blessed to give. You see, here's what we learn, church. Giving isn't something that we do begrudgingly, hesitantly, because we have to. Giving is the very way we learn to experience the power of God, the grace of God, the life of God, the joy of God. The most joyful people that I know. Now, I just went through this week to, to make sure the statement's accurate. I didn't want to just say something for dramatic effect. And I actually made a mental list of the people that I know that are the most joyful people. I mean, real joy, right? Like, not just because when, it, when something good happens, they're happy. When something bad happens, they're sad. I'm talking about the people that are consistently, from the inside out, content and joyful, Those people that I know are the most generous, giving people that I know as well. Hmm. I wonder if there's a correlation. It's like like there's a major flow of God's power and grace and joy and purpose that comes from heaven to earth. And if we want to be in that flow and to be part of it, it it costs us. We have to give. And when we do, we become part of what God is doing. We become a recipient of the flow of God. We become fruit bearers of God's work. It is God's nature to give. God, listen church, God is a giving God. That's who he is. We should we should run to the opportunity to be like him and to join him in that and to work with him, to also be giving people that one another and the rest of the world would constantly know the nature of God, what he looks like. Giving is godly. Number two, turn to uh, First Chronicles. We were in Second Chronicles. I want to invite you to go back one book in the Old Testament to First Chronicles, look at the second thing about giving. This godly concept called giving. Number one, we saw giving is godly. Number two, I want to show you this. Giving is also worship. Giving is also worship. Now, you're in First Chronicles, Chapter 29. We're gonna do a little reading together here because I want you to see the context. I want you to see what's going on here. This is offerings, giving from God's people that are being taken up to build in the Old Testament the, the temple. God's building, the holy place where the children of Israel, God's people, would come to worship and experience Him together. Okay? So it starts in, in chapter 29. Are you there? First Chronicles 29? All right, if you're there, just let me know you're there by saying bald is beautiful. Oh, I love that. That's kind of manipulative, isn't it? I shouldn't do that, huh? You're right, I shouldn't do that, but it felt good for a minute. So look at chapter 29, look at verse 1. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now, for the house of my God, I have prepared with all my might gold for the things to be made of gold, silver for the things of silver, bronze for the things of bronze, iron for the things of iron, wood for the things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, and all kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance. Verse 3, moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God. I look right there. King David is saying, because I have set my affection, what I like, what I prefer, what I esteem, what I love on the house of my God. Why has he set his affection on the house of God? Because that's the place primarily where God is going to work. That's going to be God's dwelling place. That's going to be the place where people in the world come to encounter a holy God. And David says, when we're talking about a place on earth where people can come and learn about God and experience God, I love that place. Because that's where God shows himself to people. And I get to be part of that. And so he set his his affection on it. And because he set his affection on it, he also gave to it, it says. Um... It says, I have given to the house of my God, there in verse 3, over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. Skip down to verse 6. Then the leaders of the father's houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and hundreds, with the officers over the king's work, offered willingly. Verse 7. They gave for the work of the house of God, 5,000 talents. And it goes on to talk about how each person gave Thousands of talents or whatever it is they gave. And verse 8 says, and whoever had precious stones gave them. They gave to the house of the Lord. Verse 9 says, oh, watch this. Look, with your eyes on your page, verse 9. Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly. Because with a loyal heart, they had offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. Now, now you see the people coming, right? God has called for this building to be his place, to do his work, and he has called for, watch this, his people to give to provide for his work. So his people give. They take what they have, and they come, and they give it to the work for the building for God. And in this, it says they all of a sudden have this spirit of rejoicing and joy. Now, verse 10 shows us about worship, because giving is worship. Here's David's response. All this is happening around him. David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and all that is on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Look at the posture. David is leading the people to proclaim right now. They take a posture of humility. Worship requires humility. Humility is, God, we recognize that you are God above us, and we are below you. You are great, and we are the recipients of your greatness. You have power. You have victory. You're in heaven. Everything that we have— listen. Everything that we have, everything that we know comes from you because it's yours, God. That's the posture of worship. I'm a little concerned about church today. Just just being honest with you here. We have narrowed down worship to be this one portion of one hour Of one day a week called singing at the worship service and we call that worship we have our worship team up here and pastor matt is our worship leader up here and then we are to sometimes we just get to thinking you know that's our time to worship we have relegated worship to singing to the music portion that takes up what 15 minutes of your entire week and god has called his people to be a people who worship him night and day constantly. It requires so much more than giving lip service in a musical tune or to rhythm. It also requires a posture, living a life of humility that acknowledges, watch this, God, you are the one who gives everything. It all belongs to you, and I am simply the recipient of what you give by your grace. That's called worship. That's how you worship. When you begin to live that way, as if God really is in control of your life, as if God really has given you everything that you have. And you begin to now go, well, I have to now live accountable to the one who gave it to me. That's called worship. That's living a life of worship. He goes on, both riches and honor come from you, he says in verse 12. And you reign over all, and your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. I'm going to keep reading, listen. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? We could learn a lesson right here, church. Do you see David's heart? Do you see what worship looks like? Oh, got to bring up my money and put in this thing because I need money again. I wish they'd do a better job of maintaining the place. I wouldn't have to give so much money all the time. Oh, they got another one over here. got two offerings one day. What are they? All I want is my money. That heart compared to who are we that we should have so much, God, that we would be the recipients of such greatness, of such abundance, of such blessing that you've given us, that we don't deserve. We so acknowledge and so rejoice, and want to praise you for everything that you've given us, that we can't give you enough, God, as an offering. That's worship. You see it? Verse 15 says, For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. What is this life without God? It has to do with this posture of humility and this heart, this condition of our heart that really expresses worship to God. I want to show you just a couple passages very quickly. Turn in your Bibles over to Proverbs chapter 3. I want to show you this connection. We're talking about worship and and how giving is a part of worship. Proverbs 3 verse 5 is is a fairly well-known verse among believers today. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. But then you keep reading. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. You see the posture of humility taking on there? Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't think you've figured it all out and the reason that you have what you did is because you're so clever and you're such a good, smart person. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Watch this. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. See so he says? That, that posture of humility, that acknowledgement, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and then He directs your path and when He directs your path, when God directs your path, it's a lifestyle that, sa- that says, you know, I can't do this on my own. I'm dependent upon me. He's leading me and I, out of, out of a, a, a loyal heart, a loving heart, a grateful heart, I honor Him with, it says specifically, My possessions. Now, why my possessions? Why can't I honor him just with my words? Wouldn't that be nice? I could just, Lord, you're so wonderful. You're so gracious. I trust you, Lord. I give to you. I worship you. What if we could do it with all of our words, but it never cost us anything? Well, God knows something about us you know, being the creator and all, being sovereign God, turn over to Matthew chapter 6 or just listen if you don't want to turn there. He knows something about us. Why can't I just, why can't I just give with my service? Why can't I just give with my mouth? Why can't I just give with how much I love him and feel inside that he's good? Because here's what God knows. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But look at verse 20. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where neither thieves break in nor steal. And verse 21, watch. For where your treasure is, there your heart is. Will be also. Why is it that it's worshipful to give to God of our possessions, to honor Him with our possessions and the first fruits of all of our increase? Because here's what He knows He knows that as a human, as a person, that your heart will always follow what you treasure, where you put your treasure. And you see, if we build up earthly possessions, if that becomes important to us, and we try to build our bank account to be as big as it can in our investments and, and all the toys and all the stuff that we have for luxurious living in this nation, and we do a, this is what God knows. Well, listen, what's going to happen is your heart's going to begin to go after that stuff. And God says, "I don't want your heart to go after that stuff. Moths are going to destroy that stuff. It's going to disappear. It's worth nothing in eternity. I want your hearts to go after me." God says, I want you to be devoted to me. So he says, because I know that, he gives us an opportunity to worship him in a tangible, real, practical, eternal way, and that's called giving. Honoring him with our possessions, with what he's given us and allowed us to have, what we would tend to treasure on our own, keeps us pursuing the things of God. Ooh. Somebody should write that down. That sounds good enough to print right there. Those who give of their possessions lay up treasures in heaven that last, that draw our heart, that focus our affection and our devotion and our attention on the heavenly instead of the earthly. You see, God's given us a built-in mechanism to check ourselves to make sure that we're constantly pursuing him, even though there are distractions all around us. It's called giving. It's a blessing to do. It keeps me focused on heavenly things. It allows me to take from the opportunities that I would invest earthly and instead invest them heavenly and keep my heart pure as it follows the things of God. Wouldn't you like to have something like that in your life? like this. Yeah. It's called giving. There's a connection between giving and our hearts. It points our hearts to that which is heavenly. I'll turn back to 1 Chronicles and let me show you the third and the final point this morning about giving. Giving is godly. Clearly giving is worship. And finally, Giving is faith. Giving is faith. First Chronicles, we read about how the King David and all the people brought of their possessions to build the temple. We read in 2 Chronicles how King Joash and all the people brought of their possessions to restore the temple. To rebuild where it had fallen apart and was in disrepair. We see this pattern here. All throughout the scriptures. God uses his people to build his work. God uses his people to fund his work, to resource, to serve, and yes, to give of their possessions for its benefit. Now, that's where we are. Let's see how it's tied to faith. Now, you remember in uh, verse 7 of 1 Chronicles 29. Stay with me here in just a minute. We're, we're going to build our, our walls together. Look at verse 7. It says, They gave for the work of the house of God. 5,000 talents and 10,000. It goes on and talks about all the amounts that they give, which really isn't the important part right now. They gave. I think this is really important. How was it that the children of Israel were able to let go of... You've you got to understand... These possessions and treasures for them meant maybe even so much more than it means for us today, right? Because our nation today is so blessed; we are so affluent. I know <clears throat> you may not feel like it. You're saying, "Wow, we barely have two dimes to rub together. We can, we we live from paycheck to paycheck, or we don't even have enough to pay our bills right now." I understand, and, and let me offer sympathy if you're struggling financially. God God can and God will help you if you trust in the Lord with all your heart, acknowledge Him and all His ways first. But listen, even those of us that are struggling the most financially, we live in America, folks. We live in America. There probably isn't one person that's going to go home today and wonder from this building, where am I going to get water this week? Where am I going to get water? Listen. That's a whole different league than how much money am I going to have to spend on this or that? Or am I going to be able to do these three things or only do these two things this week? Or am I only going to be able to eat Starbucks twice a day this week? Come on, folks. Let's put it in perspective. Where are we here? What if, what if you hadn't had water all day yesterday, all day today, and you didn't know where you were going to get it all day tomorrow? Um, That has a way of resetting your priorities. That has a way of narrowing your interests. That's the kind of place, these people were in the desert, having been led there by God. The only way they had water is if God provided it from a rock. The only way they had a fruitful land is God to lead them into it, across the Jordan River that was dried up. You remember? Everything they had was so rare and so precious And you would think they would have this tendency to just hold on with the death grip. Why, then, does it say they gave so willingly? I'll show you the answer. It's found right there in verse 7. They gave, now watch the next couple words, for the work of the house of God. Hey, did you catch that? church. They gave so that it was a nice place to come to? No. They gave because they knew they really should, and they felt guilty because David did. No. What was the motive? What, what were they looking to do by giving? You got you to see this, folks. This shows us the faith element. It says they gave because what they knew was this is the place where God chooses to work. And I know that if I give now, earthly of my possessions, that what will happen in the future that's unseen yet, that's maybe generations to come, will be the work of God instead of the work of man. And I trust that that's better. Right? Because, hey, if I, if I have $1,000, I could use that $1,000 for anything I want. Or if I, if I really believe that that $1,000 would go towards God glorifying himself, is there anybody in this room that wouldn't just run to that thing and throw it in there? If you knew, like that $1,000 would go right to glorifying God. I'd, I'd, I'd try to find out more. How could, I couldn't give quickly enough. You see, it's faith. Do you believe, church? I'm asking you. Do you believe that Crosspoint Community Church is a place where God has called to work? Do you believe that this is a place that God has chosen, that he said, I will do my work, I will share the gospel and save lives, I will transform people's lives, I will restore marriages, I will change and build up children for future generations right here in this body, in this place, Crosspoint Community Church, do you believe that? You see, you have to believe that please don't give this morning because I tell you to. I don't want one dime that comes from your possessions because you felt like I wanted you to give it. Not one. Don't give it. You've got to believe. You have to know. It has to be a part of your own step of faith. Parents, it has to be, I care about my children, that when they grow up in this church, they will go out to be life changers for the glory of God. That has to be the reason. That has to be the investment. And when it is, that unlocks the power of God, that is a place where God shows up. You see that, you understand that? Where does God work? God works among his people. Yes, he works among his people, but but when does he work among his people? Watch this, when they choose to trust him. Oh, hello, yeah. That's what the Bible teaches us over and over and over and over and over and over again. When the children of Israel stopped trusting God and stopped believing Him by faith, God stopped working in their midst. But when they heard His voice and responded by faith, trusting ahead of time, knowing that that's what God wanted them to do, and if God wasn't going to do it, nothing else was going to work, giving it to Him faith. When His people did that, God worked. You see how giving is such a faith tool for us? It, it is the place where you say, hey, you know that phrase, put your money where your mouth is? Right? You think about what that's saying? That's kind of a biblical principle. That means if you're saying you believe this, if you say that's true, the real proof that you really believe that is when you're willing to give to it. Because I really do believe, and I really do trust. And you have to believe to give of the abundance of your possessions. Now look, skip over to verse 16. We're going to wrap things up. Verse 16 of 1 Chronicles 29. Let's continue reading and see what what happens when faith comes alive through giving. Verse 16 says, O Lord of God, in this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house, for your holy name is from your hand, and is all your own. Look at verse 17. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now, with joy, I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. Look at giving by faith. It brings joy. David's... David said, I'm experiencing so much joy of the Lord right now. When? When I gave the most. Because you called for me to. And when I did, it showed uprightness before you in my heart. And then I'm leading a people who also have displayed and responded to your challenge with uprightness of heart. And he said, that brings me great joy. Giving brings joy. Keep reading verse 18. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, Keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart toward you. And give my son Solomon a loyal heart. Look what he's saying. He's saying, this is so, King David's such an awesome leader of his people. I mean, he had his faults, guys, right? But who doesn't? Look at the heart of this guy who's leading all these people, God's people. You know what he's most happy about here? You know, it just thrills him. He's saying, saying, Lord God of our fathers, he says, let this experience, this step of faith, this giving to you and then you blessing it, let this be something that creates in in the heart of these people this determination to keep following you. Not only does it bring joy, but it also shows our loyalty. Let my heart be loyal to you God let my people's hearts be loyal unto you and let this be the time where that's established let this be the time where it's remembered there's no clearer time in the heart of God's people that they are loyal than, we are, than when they are giving generously and abundantly in worship and faith the Bible calls them upright but keep reading in verse 19 it said he was also praying for his own son the next generation, that his heart would be loyal to do what? To keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes, to do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision. Did you see that, church? I'm not losing you, am I? Don't check out on me yet. There's still some really good nugget right here. Check this out. Parents, grandparents too, but parents, we've invited for boys and girls children to come in and worship with us. Hi, kids. Are you awake? All right. Are mom and dad awake? If mom and dad aren't awake, wake them up. Say, hey, the pastor's talking. Listen. Okay. Check. Listen, this is really important. Do we want to be families? Do we want to be parents that keep the commandments and the testimonies and the statutes of the Lord our God. I mean, that's a decision we're gonna to have to make right now. Listen, listen, parents, parents of young kids, listen to me carefully. Do you know that that doesn't happen automatically in their little lives? They aren't naturally going to want to keep God's commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their lives. As a matter of fact, they're gonna hear from the rest of the world that there are much funner things and much better things to do. Church, grandparents, Parents, we have to create intentional environments where our children learn, where their lives are transformed, where they experience faith coming alive all around them so that they can be part of God's work. That's how they're taught to keep the commandments of God. That's what this wall is all about. We want boys and girls to come up with moms and dads and say, I'm putting this block on this wall. Why? Because I believe that giving to God is right. That I believe by faith that when we make this place a house of God and respond with commitment to it and give to God here and serve God here, that he will bless that and work here and others' lives will be transformed. It's teaching our kids it's good to lay up treasures on, in heaven as opposed to on earth because that's going to set their hearts on a trajectory toward God. This is so much more than fixing a leaking roof. It is so much more than putting a new face on a building or repairing something or giving it a remodel. It's true. It's true. If we don't do something, stuff's going to literally start falling down around us. And in 15 years from now, there probably won't be a building that's inhabitable. It's true. But I'm thinking there are much greater things at work here. I'm thinking, do we believe that God wants to work here so much so that we would invest our treasures and our resources to building it up and align our lives with the work that God is doing here? Listen, if I'm going to build it up, I'm going to stay and work. I'm going to serve here. I'm going to give here. I'm going to make my home here. I'm going to love people here. I'm going to share God's word here. I'm going to experience God's transforming power here. That's what David's heart was for his, his own son. It shows our loyalty. and Finally, it leads to fruitfulness. Giving by faith leads to fruitfulness. Verse 19, to keep your commandments... And your testimonies, and your statues, to do all the things, and to build the temple for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly, blessed the Lord the God of their fathers. Giving is God's way for his people to be involved in his work. Now, I, I don't know, you, perhaps you've been a faithful and generous giver all of your life and y, y, your testimony inspires me. It blesses our church, it blesses God, and it's been part of the reason God has blessed your life if you've been a faithful giver. But perhaps there's some in here this morning that, you know, giving just hasn't, hasn't taken that central part of our relationship with God yet. Here's what you have to understand, church. When God calls a people together, we are all dependent upon one another. You can't have just a couple of heroes carrying the whole load for the church. They couldn't in the Old Testament as well. It took all of them coming together, giving, watch this, for all of them to be able to praise him and bless him, with fruitful worship. I might say it like this Everyone together to God. Show that next slide. Everyone together to God. Not I'm going to God and I'm gonna drag you with me. Not I'm going to God and you can stay behind if you want to. But everyone together. Going toward where God is. That's what we're here to do this morning. We see that as we close in Nehemiah. These verses are not new to you. We've been looking at these for months now. Just listen. Listen for everyone coming together to God. Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall. He's leading the people Chapter 1, verse 9 says, But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of, of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. Listen carefully. Then I said to them, Chapter 2, verse 17, You see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to this good work. Chapter 4 and verse 6. So we built the wall. The entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. And finally, chapter 6 and verse 15. These are highlighting the things that we've looked at. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And it happened. Watch this. All the people went... To God together. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. You see, you read over and over again in Nehemiah church that all the people gave to the rebuilding of the wall. Somebody, somebody, one time, please don't do this. Somebody said, "Well, it doesn't say they gave money. It says they worked." Okay, go back to that century and twelve hours a day work on building the wall, and then say it wasn't giving of their money. Mm -hmm. It gave uh, their entire livelihood to this. Everything was given to rebuilding the wall. They lived on the wall. Everyone of God's people gave. They didn't all give the same gift, but they all gave equally with the same amount of sacrifice, the same amount of faith, the same amount of worship, the same amount of godliness. And when that happened, there was this effect that went beyond the walls of Jerusalem, out into the world, that all the other nations, it said, knew what had been done was done by God. That's what we want to do. Now, they have a choice whether they like it or not, but, but we have the responsibility, all of us, to buy in. On your commitment card, it says all in. That's what it means. Are you all in? This means so much more than just the financial gift that you would give. It's all about trusting God to do the work in this body, in this church. And it's all about laying up treasures in heaven, not on earth, so that my heart would be toward pursuing God and the things of God. And it's all about God potentially working in the future generations, the ones that are coming right behind us. That's what this is all about. And it happens to take the form of a financial offering, a gift Honoring the Lord with my treasures and my first fruit, and he does all the rest. So let me invite you. Take out, if you would, your commitment cards, your TC3 offering today, and your Nehemiah wall block. I know you came to church with a lot of stuff this morning, didn't you, church? Some people, I had to bring a suitcase to bring all this stuff with me this morning. That's all right kids, get ready, get your blocks ready. Now, hopefully you have, you have, okay, now listen up, you have put